Hello, everyone. <laughs> we'll start these sessions mostly with um, a short kind of a short ish uh, meditation just to settle in together and uh, I'll offer a little bit of a little bit of guided in this in this session so finding a posture and that feels alert and yet relaxed and allowing the body to relax Sometimes we can do this relaxation consciously like we did earlier today. And that's a good place to start, just noticing where tension is and seeing if it can be softened, released. And sometimes we can use a kind of a request or an inclining towards relaxation, not by trying to do it, but by dropping in a gentle invitation to the mind and body. May the body relax. And then not trying to do that, but just see how does that request or that invitation land in your system? May the body relax. Sometimes this for me, dropping that invitation in, I feel a release of a place that I didn't even know was tense. May the body relax. May the mind relax.
as the body and mind relax from whatever place of relaxation is available. Recognizing awareness. Are you aware? Just in whatever simple, obvious way that may make sense for you. Are you aware? And what is obvious? What is happening in this moment? Opening to being with your experience as it is. Curious, about what's here, body sensations. Sounds. Maybe feelings, emotions. Exploring, receiving what wants to show up. Seeing if you can step aside from being the driver in control of what you experience. And letting the nature reveal itself.
Sometimes what we are aware of is very specific. Particular sound, a specific body sensation. Even knowing an emotion clearly, frustration, confusion. Sometimes what we are aware of is clear. Other times it might seem more vague or nebulous, fuzzy, diffuse. Some experiences are like that. So that's okay. If what you are noticing is a sense of fuzziness or expansiveness or space, that also can be known kind of a different quality to the awareness of those kinds of experiences. And sometimes it seems like we can't quite clearly know what is happening at all. But we know that we're aware and that's okay too. it's not clear, you can just know that, aware and not sure what is happening. That's something that happens in the mind. Sometimes we can sit in that diffuse, vague experience for a little while and then suddenly there's something very clear that comes. Are you aware? What is happening? an opening to experience just curious about what is happening. We explore the possibility of allowing whatever is happening, whatever is arising 
allowing. Sometimes we might feel like something is resisted. That's an attitude. It is full to check in from time to time. How am I in relationship to experience? Leaning towards something, wanting it, leaning away, not wanting. Or maybe there is this sense of allowing. It's okay. Mindfulness itself does not have an agenda about what it knows. Mindfulness itself doesn't like or not like things. It just is aware. That's its concern, its job. And so within that quality of mindfulness comes this allowing. Are you aware? What's happening? What is obvious? Can it be allowed?
So there are a couple of topics that I'd like to reflect on with you. One of those is a, a little bit more about checking the attitude, noticing attitude, what that means. In the the guided meditation that we just did, I pointed to this word, allow, allowing experience to be as it is. And we could say that is the direction we're heading with this practice, that whatever is arising our mindfulness becomes strong enough to be able to allow whatever is here, to be here without resistance, without trying to hold on to it, without confusion, but just, oh, this is what's happening. That stance of kind of curiosity and interest, engagement, without either leaning towards or away from the experience. So that allowing is kind of the wise attitude that Sayadaw speaks about, that Sayadaw Utejaniya speaks about. Allowing what's here to be here. We find our way to allowing what's here to be here by noticing what's in the way of allowing things to be here, and that's some kind of relationship usually, some kind of wanting things to be a certain way, some kind of leaning away, a resistance. In the flavor often of one of, um, well, let's say we could say there's four basic flavors of attitude. There's the three flavors that are connected with greed, aversion, and delusion those qualities of mind that the Buddha say, says are the main contributors to the reason we suffer, the reasons we have stress, dissatisfaction, stress in our, in our lives. So we want something to happen, the, the movement of greed, we want something to stay, we're leaning towards something, we like something, we want more of it, that's the flavor of greed. There's the aversion, the sense of not liking something, not wanting something to be here, a kind of a pulling back from, a resistance to, not liking, not wanting. Many flavors of this, anger, hatred, rage, frustration, irritation, annoyance, so many flavors of that resistance. And then there's... Um, the delusion flavors, flavors that are connected to kind of not being 
not being connected, confusion perhaps, spacing out perhaps, disconnection from experience. But then there's another flavor of delusion where we're not disconnected from experience, but we're looking at it with a particular lens, a particular view, an idea that it should be a certain way. Not aware that we're looking at it with that idea or that belief. So unaware that there's a belief that's influencing how we're taking experience in. That's a form of delusion as well. And then there's wise attitude, which is that flavor of allowing that um, mind, the state of mind in which whatever is happening is not a problem. It's just what's happening. Everything is allowed in that state. And so we find our way to that place of wise attitude by getting to know unwise attitude really well. And so it's not that we're trying to get rid of our wanting or aversion. That's just more aversion. But what we are exploring is opening to having a different relationship with these attitudes of mind. When they're not seen, when they're essentially hidden in our mind, they, they function kind of like a filter. They, uh, like we're wearing colored glasses of some, some sort. And we're looking through those colored glasses, green glasses, and everything is tinted slightly green, but we're unaware that we're looking through that, that color. We're just seeing things colored green. So we think things are green. We think that they are that way. So the attitudes of mind, like aversion, for instance, function in that way. When we have a filter of aversion in the mind, we tend to notice things to which we are averse. We tend to be drawn to the unpleasant in a way, wanting to fix things that are wrong in the environment. And so the, the, uh, the aversion filter changes how we receive information, how we take in our sense experience. When there's an unpleasant experience, you know, the, the uh, aversion can result from an unpleasant, painful experience, for instance. And, uh, and so then the aversion's in the mind. And then we, we apply that aversion to try to get rid of that painful experience. The aversion also may have an effect on that, uh, the whole experience. When there's aversion in the mind and there's a painful experience, the entire... Um, the entire system kind of tightens up or braces around that aversion, which makes the unpleasantness more unpleasant. And so then we get more averse because there's more unpleasantness. And so if we're not noticing this interaction, that there's an unpleasant experience and there's aversion in the mind, 
or just that there's a version in the mind. We may not even know what the unpleasant experience it's based on is. We're not noticing that. Then the aversion is kind of controlling, driving how we're responding to our experience. And so this is why it's really important to become aware of these kind of hidden, hidden filters, agendas in the mind. So uh, um, these attitudes can be related to sense experience, for instance, um, physical pain. Often with physical pain, a pain in the knee or the back, for instance, there can be a, a relationship to that. And there's a difference between the physical pain and the mind that doesn't like the physical pain. There's the sensation of the perhaps knee or back where there's pulling, burning, pressure, aching. There's that part of the experience. And then there's the mind that goes, no, that's not okay. I got to fix that. That's going to get worse. It's going to be a problem after another three hours of this today, sitting another three hours. It's going to be so bad that I'm not even going to be able to walk. The mind goes into that kind of spiral out of aversion. There's a difference between that and the physical pain. That's what's important to notice. What's the relationship in the mind to what is happening in the present moment? So there's what's happening and then there's how we are in relationship to it. So this question of what, what is the attitude or how am I relating to this or what's the relationship or how, how am I with this? Various flavors of that question can help to let the mind recognize that there is a relationship that perhaps it hasn't, hasn't been seen. And what this does is, um, if you're wearing those glasses, those green colored glasses that are affecting how you're seeing the world, not being aware of those green colored glasses, we're just seeing the world as green, but then becoming aware, oh, I'm wearing green colored glasses. It's kind of like you're taking those glasses off and looking at them rather than through them. Very different relationship. So becoming aware that, for instance, physical pain in the knee and not liking it, aversion is happening. Instead of the aversion kind of driving or motivating how we're paying attention, trying to fix it or trying to uh, bear down on it so that I can get through the next five minutes with this pain. Instead of having that, we just become aware, oh, there's physical pain and not liking is happening. So the mind begins to sort those out, tease those apart, recognize that they're different things, but that they affect each other. They have a, a relationship to each other. The physical pain can be a source for the aversion arising. And then the arising, the, the aversion can then uh, create conditions where there's a further bracing, a further kind of um, uh, 
resistance, and then that can exacerbate the physical unpleasantness. So there's this feedback loop between the two. And when the aversion begins to be recognized, it's a different relationship to the aversion than buying into it or believing it. It can just become, oh, there's aversion happening. And then the, there can be an allowing of unpleasant and aversion happening. The aversion doesn't have to go away in order for the mind to be okay with both the pain and the aversion. And as the mind is in this allowing place, it begins to understand something of the feedback between the aversion and the uh, unpleasant experience. And what can happen is that there's a little bit of shifting. Sometimes we might see the aversion get a little stronger, a little weaker. We notice how that affects the, the physical pain. Sometimes we might notice the aversion fall away completely and then there's just unpleasant sensation, a very different experience. So the, uh, the exploration of the attitude, and I've kind of been doing two things here. I've been both talking about pain and attitude kind of at the same time. Uh, but the exploration of the attitude can help us to, uh, to notice what's kind of behind the scenes in our meditation. So the attitudes can be in relationship to the physical experience or what's arising for us. You know, we, something pleasant arises, we tend to like it, we want more of it. That's the movement of greed. Something unpleasant arises, we tend to not like it, want to push it away. That's the movement of aversion. Sometimes there's a sense of confusion, of not knowing what to do about something, the attitude of confusion or delusion. Those are pretty straightforward kinds of attitudes. There's another form or flavor of attitude that's more connected to an agenda, you know, what we're doing. So we're meditating. We're trying to be aware. And, uh, you know, sometimes it might happen that an attitude arises in the mind, not based on whether the experience is actually pleasant or unpleasant, but more based on our attitude about what should be happening in a meditation. And that, that, kind, of, uh, that kind of attitude can flavor then how we receive the experience. A great example of this is sleepiness. So often, I think, when we're meditating, we have a, a subtle, perhaps, or not so subtle, in the mind, the idea that I can't be sleepy. I can't meditate while I'm sleepy. So that's a belief. It's an agenda in the mind that, that that belief then creates perhaps the agenda of needing to fix sleepiness when we're meditating. That it's a problem. Sleepiness is a problem. So that's an attitude. There's first the belief, I can't be 
mindful while sleep while I'm sleepy first of all that's just a belief it's not even true we'll get into that a little bit more in the maybe some today but in the in the days to come so there's that belief happening and then because we're meditating we think it's a problem so that's the attitude if sleepiness is arising we think it's a problem so there's an aversion there sleepiness is happening it's a problem I, I shouldn't be doing it shouldn't be happening I've got to fix it I've got to do something about it so an aversion often arises in relationship to sleepiness happening and what happens in that case actually is very interesting I'm sure most of you have experienced being sleepy in meditation and resisting it trying to fight it and what's the experience you know sleepiness in that case is often unpleasant it doesn't feel very good there's a kind of a heaviness and there's this slogging through trying to like be aware and it's like you don't even know you can't even feel what's happening it just feels so heavy and thick so that is often the experience when there's sleepiness and this agenda in the mind that I shouldn't be sleeping while meditating the experience of sleepiness is generally unpleasant but if we actually notice if that agenda is not in the mind or we begin to question or or um, what's the right word um, set to the side that idea that I can't be mindful while I'm sleepy we can just like hold that to the side and maybe my just saying you know it is possible actually you can be aware while you're sleeping that might create some curiosity huh I wonder what that's like if the attitude about sleepiness is one of curiosity sleepiness can be extremely pleasant so this is a great example of how an attitude in the mind can shape what we are experiencing when there is allowing in the mind sleepiness can feel very pleasant I mean it's designed to be pleasant actually you know we wouldn't fall asleep if it didn't feel pleasant in some ways you know when we're going to bed at night our body kind of moves into this very soft and uh, kind of pleasant soft a relaxed state and the mind goes into this very nice um, like wave like pattern with just drifty thoughts that don't catch on anything it's really pleasant it's just this idea that we can't be mindful of it that agenda creating an attitude that it's a problem and so it's useful to notice okay what's happening there's sleepiness happening and there's this idea happening there's a agenda happening this belief this resistance to the sleepiness so both of those are happening so that's exposing the attitude that's you're noticing there's sleepiness and resistance to it they are not the same thing sleepiness is one thing resistance is another the resistance can get stronger or weaker you might notice as the resistance gets stronger that the unpleasantness gets stronger as the resistance gets weaker maybe even falls away you might notice that it's actually pleasant 
So one thing I'll say about uh, working with sleepiness, and I think we'll save some of this for later, perhaps, um, is that you know if you if you have the idea, I can't be mindful. You know, you're if you're if you're kind of sleepy, and the thought arises in your mind, I'm too sleepy to meditate. You are already aware of sleepiness. You already know the experience of sleepiness because you have had that recognition. I'm sleepy. I'm trying to meditate. You've already recognized sleepiness. You've already been aware of it. Proof. It's possible. And so if you hear that thought, I can't be mindful. I'm too sleepy to meditate. Don't believe that thought. Just notice it's a thought. It's just an idea. It's just a belief. So um, in this kind of conversation or this description of working with attitude, um, kind of come at it from the perspective of working with some difficulty, pain in the body, often an attitude in relationship to that, sleepiness, often an attitude in relationship to that. And thoughts and sleepiness, I would say, are two of the key things that we think are problems in meditation. So again, you know, noticing that that's a kind of a belief or a, an idea. I can't be mindful while thinking. It is true that thinking is a very powerful thing that catches us. We tend to have a habit of non-mindfulness while thinking. But that doesn't mean that thinking is inherently non-mindful. So noticing the relationships to experience based on, in some ways, the agenda of meditation. Some of the uh, relationships, some of the attitudes are based on not so much whether something is pleasant or unpleasant inherently, but in, in, our, in, in what we're doing, in our agenda around the meditation. So that's really useful to, uh, to notice. I want to speak a little bit more about working with difficulty more generally. I would say the very first thing to do when it feels like there's a struggle, it feels like there's some difficulty in practice, is to check the relationship, check the attitude. If it feels like it's hard to meditate, it feels like there's something wrong, there's an attitude there that that needs to be seen. And it can just be seen again. It, it, it becomes another part of the experience. Maybe that can be allowed. There's resistance happening. Oh, resistance. That can be allowed. There's a shift in the experience as we begin to recognize those things that have been operating in the background and they kind of are seen more clearly there can be a little bit of a relaxing or a softening around them. So any kind of struggle you're having, that's the very first thing to check with. What's the relationship? It's really helpful in this practice to learn, let's say, 
when we can be with something that's difficult that's arising and when it's too strong for us to be mindful of it. This is a key uh, piece of wisdom that we need, to, we need to respect that there are certain things that come up in our minds that have a momentum, that have a power, that have a kind of potency in our conditioning that, that are very sticky, that tend to kind of be those rabbit holes or whirlpools that draw down the mindfulness, that take us out of mindfulness. So we need to learn that. What, when is it that something is so strong that we can't be mindful of it? And honor that, respect that. It doesn't make sense if there's something that is like just enveloping us and pulling us underneath. An overwhelming anxiety or a fear, for instance, arising and just like swamping our mind. It can be like the, the, that difficulty is like this huge wave, a tsunami of momentum. And our mindfulness is just like a tiny little trickle. The mindfulness gets swamped sometimes by some of these patterns that arise in our mind. It's not our fault that they're arising. They're conditioned. They're arising out of our history. And so we need to learn when we can settle back and recognize, oh yeah, this is what's happening. Some kinds of fear, perhaps we might be able to say, oh, fear, that's this is fear that's happening and this is how it's affecting the body. Wow, I feel a constriction in the stomach. There's a little bit of pulling away. So this would be when we can be with it. But if you find that it is um, more likely that the attention gets swamped, then that is not the time to try to just settle back and be with what is. It's kind of like that naturalist in the forest. You know, you're sitting in the forest watching the, what's around you, and a forest fire comes in. You don't stay in the forest there when the forest fire comes in. You get out of the forest. You find safer conditions. So we need to respect the power of these, of these um, overwhelming mind states and take some action. You know, that's not the time to just sit, sit there and say, oh, burning, burning is happening. Forest fire is happening. That's not the time for that. That's the time to get up and leave. And in the, the meditation, what get up and leave means is turn your attention to something else. Redirect the attention. Those of you who are familiar, who have familiar practices, who have ways to balance your mind, tools that you're familiar with, like um, uh, metta practice or... Um, perhaps opening your eyes or taking a walk, whatever you have in your toolbox to help you balance your mind, you are welcome to use it. Use those tools. There's certain times when the 
things that come up are overwhelming, where it feels very difficult to redirect the attention, though. You know, sometimes we, we say, wow, that fear is really strong. I'm going to put my attention on my feet and take a walk. And what we find is that the attention just keeps being drawn right back to it. It's like a magnet sometimes. If that happens, then there's a couple of tools that I will offer you right now that can support, that can support you. And one of them comes from Sayadaw, and one of them is uh, my own uh, version of something that Gil Fronstahl taught me. Um, so the first one is um, to put your fingers together like this. You know, put, your, your, put your fingers together, let your thumbs and all your, your fingers touch. And then you put a little bit more pressure on your thumb to start. And just notice the thumb. Just kind of let your attention go to your thumb. And then after a, a couple seconds of that, of really noticing the thumb, then shift to the first finger. Pressure there, add pressure there, and notice that. And then after a couple seconds, shift to the next finger. And then the next finger. And then the next one. And then shift back to the thumb. So this gives a strong sensation that is deliberately changing. So what I find, at least, when there's something really strong happening, an overwhelming uh, difficulty arising, if I try to turn to something and just stay with it, okay, I'm going to just uh, be with my breath for now while this difficulty is happening. I'm going to turn to my breath and I'm going to stay with my breath. What I, what I tend to find and what I hear from others is that trying to stay with one thing when there's one other strong thing that's calling you, that, that strong thing that's calling you ends up pulling you back often. Like you may be able to be with your breath for one or two breaths and then you're back with the fear and then you come back to the breath and then you're back with the fear. So I find that if you create something where there's a changing strong experience, so this change from one finger to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. That is just, it's using that um, capacity that we have to be with something for just a moment. That moment, like we can, we can be with a sensation for a few moments, a, a few, a second. It's not hard to, to connect with something. Even if something strong is pulling us, we can be with something else strong for a second. And then we shift to another one, and then another one. It's like leading the mind gently from one thing to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. Kind of leading it away from that magnetic pull. If I tried to just stay with my thumb, my thumb, my thumb, I would find probably pulled back to the difficulty. But when I change from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, it's much easier for just a few seconds to be with that thing and then use the capacity we have to switch to another thing and be with that one and then the next one. And that gives you a little bit more of a break from the overwhelming difficulty. Now it may be that you only get 10 seconds of a break and then you're pulled back and then you can come back and try it again. So that's one, one flavor of that, uh, picking something and, um, 
and then shifting to the next thing and the next thing. The other one's kind of similar in that it does a similar thing of finding something that's easy to connect to and then shifting to the next thing and then the next thing. But this one uses the visual field. This one uses seeing. And sometimes this can be helpful, especially if what's going on is exacerbated by sitting with your eyes closed. You know, the thoughts often happen more strongly when the eyes are closed and the thought loop between a strong emotional reaction and thoughts can just spiral out of control. So sometimes opening the eyes itself can be really helpful to, uh, to, to kind of break into a very strong mental pattern that's happening. And then on, a, on top of that, you can add, uh, if you're in a room, um, I, I will find a corner, any place two lines come together. And there are thousands of them in a room. It's not just the literal corners of the room, but it's, it's any place where there's a square. So it might be the corner of a book on a bookshelf, or it might be the place a chair leg touches the carpet, or the corner of a window, or the corner of a picture on the wall. So we'll try this now together. I'll do a little 30-second guided on this. So pick a, pick a corner in your room and let yourself acknowledge it. Know that it's there. There's that corner. And then switch to another one. Find another corner after about a second. And then find another one. Helpful to also move your head here. And then find another one. And then another one. About once a second, shifting. Find a corner. This doesn't have to be like a deep bearing into the corner. I'm mindful of the corner. It's just like, yeah, there's a corner. And then find another one. So let's do that for like 20, 25 seconds together. Okay, so when I do that, even, even just this 25 seconds, there's a kind of a softening that happens in the mind, a little bit of relaxing that happens. And it's using this capacity we have to um, notice. It gives the mind a little bit of something to do, just a little simple agenda that can keep it from orienting back to that thought pattern, that overwhelming state of mind. So in working with difficulty, we, we talked about just a couple main things right now, just the checking the attitude. There's a difference um, it's important to recognize when something is difficult, when it is taking us into the rabbit hole, and then using some tools to help the mind come back to balance. But it's also really useful to recognize when, let's say there's a difference between something being unpleasant and our not being able to be aware of it. 
we may have, again, a kind of an idea of if I were meditating properly, I wouldn't be experiencing unpleasant things, which means that I'm doing it wrong, which means I'm overwhelmed, which means I'm not mindful. And just believing oneself into thinking you're not mindful when you're actually aware of something. So the first thing to do is to check, well, am I actually aware? And what is the relationship? That's the first thing to check. If you find that you're, you get lost, if you get swamped regularly by something, that would be the time to bring in one of these stronger tools. There's a lot more options for working with difficulty in a kind of an in-between in range, but we can save those for another time. And uh, let's take a let's take a ten minute break. So let's come back at six after the hour. Six after the hour. See you in a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.